Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva, here on this Sunday, November the 13th. If you want to listen to this show all the time, go to MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia, and you can check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's doing well, and look, the hot stove has pretty much kicked off. I mean, there's actually moves. I remember at, at one point, as you went along, and it was really after – I always said after the the banking collapse when these owners had a little bit of a, a tighter rein on the um, on the funds where, oh my lord, the offseason would drag. You'd have a ton of rumors, but they would wait, wait, wait players out, and it seemed like it was Valentine's Day, and the players still don't have jobs. Now, Bartolo Colon signs for $12.5 million. Ari Dickey signs for $8 million with you know, Brave Strike Quick. Uh, it fits their strategy as they try to find a bridge to the future with a couple of veterans. And, and those are guys that back you know, not too long ago, five, six, seven years ago, probably would have to wait until Valentine's Day because the, the owners would try to squeeze every last uh, savings, every last dollar out of them. So interestingly enough, um, Matt uh, Eholt will be joining us. Matt Eholt of the uh, the record, uh, at Matt Eholt on Twitter will join us in a little bit. He'll uh, He'll talk a little bit about the Mets. He covered the Mets this year. For the record, and we'll get into the offseason, Cespedes, Walker, uh, all the different moves that are may happen, can happen, will happen, we'll, we'll be discussing. But uh, just to quickly set it up here, uh, interestingly enough, you know, last week I had had talked about the need for the Mets to channel maybe a little bit of their history, like what they did with Leiter and Piazza during that offseason of 1998. And not that they're doing that here with Cespedes, but Listening to Sandy Alderson talk at the GM meetings that just concluded, it seems like they understand that this thing needs to happen sooner rather than later. And if it's not going to happen, they need to move on. And the winter meetings, that early December winter meetings, which is down in Maryland, I believe, which is good. It's not a West Coast one because that's where it becomes tough with the news that you you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning to find out that your, your player signed or not. Will be the demarcation line. If it doesn't, it, it, here's my prediction. There's the only prediction I could give you that I think I could give with some certainty. Because there's a lot of different things with this team that I, I'm having trouble really wrapping my head around. But if they don't sign Cespedes by the winter meetings, he's not going to be a member of the Mets because I think they're going to move on. Now, whether that be that, that plan B, which Mike Puma, the post, said may include Dexter Fowler, may include Jose Bautista, I'm not sure. I think the the tea leaves here 
And the tea leaves last year indicated that Cespedes wasn't going to be coming back, so be careful with that. The tea leaves here indicate that they want to get something done. They feel confident they can get something done. They already passed on Cologne. Look, passing on Cologne at $12.5 million for the role that he was going to have here makes a ton of sense. I know you guys liked him. He was fun. You know, the hat flying off at, on the, in the plate, the home run. He was wildly consistent in a way that you just never could have expected. I mean, think about this with Cologne. The Mets have signed guys, veterans, you know, in their 40s. You know, you had, you know, think about it. You had actually, uh, you had um, Oral Hershiser. I just, you know, uh, ironically, I'll mention later with the Hall of Fame and what have you, but you had Oral Hershiser sign at late need. But nobody was as consistent. I mean, Bartolo Colon was a, a well above a league average pitcher this year. Uh, he won 15 games this year, so in, in three years, he won 44 games as a member of the Mets in, in ages 40, 41, and 42. Who would have thought it? But let's also be fair, Cologne was a guy that was eminently hittable. He tended to feast in some of the years on some of the lesser teams. He struggled against some of the, the better hitting teams. You know, you go to the American League, you might have some problems. And you don't even know how he would have adjusted to a hybrid role out of the bullpen. He did well in the postseason and he was invaluable in the 2015 postseason in that bridge because the Mets bullpen was a mess. But let's remember, two out of three years, he was a below-league average pitcher. And he's a guy that uh, did very well, but I'm not sure that it was even $8 million well in terms of what they paid him, much less 12 and a half. So, But anyway, back to the original point, which was I feel that they will try to be fair and get something done. Now, if somebody comes in and gets wild and crazy – the Mets are going to have to walk away, and, and that's going to be sad with, when it comes to Cespedes. That may be uh, painful. It might make some fans mad, but this is not at any cost. This is at probably better than reasonable cost. I think the Mets will be reasonable with this. This is not the Mets saying, look, you've got to come down to my one, two, three-year offer. I don't think that's what's going to be. I think there'll maybe be op- opt-outs in there. There may, there may be some creative financing where they backload a little bit. I'm not sure Cespedes is into the deferred money because if he was, he would have went to the Nationals last year. But there's really not much of a market. I mean, the Angels were maybe a market. Doesn't seem they're going to do anything. You got the Tigers and the and the, and the White Sox potentially uh, cutting payroll. The Yankees, you're not sure. I mean, they're looking to eat some of McCann's money, but it looks like the Yankees are more interested in in staying along the younger uh, route. The Nationals are tied up in this MASN Masson dispute with the cable network. It doesn't look like they have current. Value uh, ability to uh, to sign you know give suspects a contract unless he wants deferred money like last year. Um, so who, where do we go? I mean, you know, Miami comes out there with the Braves jump in. See the Braves with their spending with Dickey and and with Matt Kemp. I don't think they would now to tell you the truth because Kemp is making a ton of money. But you know who knows? I mean, I, I don't want to inc- preclude this mystery team or. Someone that you're not talking about right now coming in with a haymaker. But Kevin Curtin of the New York Post said it best that Cespedes is comfortable here. Uh, the Mets seem to know that he's this uh, uh, important piece. I don't want to say he's the identity of the team because I think the pitching is the identity of the team. But for the offense, he's the hub because when he's in the lineup, the Mets win. And when he's not, they don't. And and right now with a team filled with left-handed batters like Duda and Bruce and Granderson and Conforto, uh, and even I know he hit better as a right-hander, but if Neil Walker comes back, he's left-handed. He's more prone to be a left-handed power threat than right-handed. This is a team that needs a righty big bat. 
and there's no better big bat right-hander unless you want to get into the whole Batista argument, which is a whole separate thing. He's older. He's been playing the American League. I, you know, who knows? He had a little bit of a down year. Who knows how he'd adjust? He's been Mr. Toronto for a while. How, and he's been prickly with the media, how would he adjust here to the fans and what have you. You got it. Look, Jay Bruce should be a very important lesson that you just don't bring someone out from anywhere, put him in a New York uniform, and expect them to produce. You could bring up the whole Jason Bay comparisons and everything, but Jason Bay was about as much health and age as it was, I believe, anyway, in my opinion, as it was playing in New York, because I think Jason Bay declined. I think that was the inevitable decline, and I think Boston knew that to a certain degree. You know, maybe Matt Holiday would have came here and he wouldn't have handled New York. He went to St. Louis and he had, you know, he had a very good run on his seven-year deal. So you just don't know. But when you have someone that is proven, and I said this last week and I'll say this again, that he can play in New York, there's a lot of value to that. So anyway, a lot to talk about, but I'd rather get into it with Matt Aholt of the oh, – Aholt, I should say, of the, uh, of the record. Oh, he's kind of foobar that, that name. i got to apologize to Matt. But anyway um, – Bruce and Granderson, will they be around? Will Neil Walker take the qualifying offer? The deadline's coming up. Mets 40-man roster is getting tight, and they have some guys they're going to have to add. Like, you know, if you go to MetsMorizedOnline.com, our friend Michael Mayer wrote about Ahmed Rosario and Paul Sewold and Thomas Nitto. I mean, there are guys that may have to get added to the 40-man roster. So those 34 slots right now that are filled, there's six slots left. Well, you got to fill maybe Kelly Johnson on one, a reliever like Fernando Salas on another. You got Walker, you got Cespedes. All of a sudden, you only got a couple of slots left. So it's it's not going to be, I think, a, a situation where everything is is cut and dry. There's going to be some very interesting maneuvers that I have to make. And one last thing, I'll just throw this out there before we take a break and get to Matt. One last thing, Brian McCann, guys. I know it was talked about earlier in the week. Brian McCann is no longer an elite hitter. He's a below-league average hitter. He's older. He's, I've never been wowed by his defense. I know he's, I'm sure he's a great guy. I think he's more of an Atlanta guy. The Yankees could eat all that salary. You don't want to give up young arms. Here's something very important for the Mets to really, you know, especially now that it looks like they, they, they didn't go the route of bringing Cologne back. They're not going to go spend, you know, Ari Dickey at $8 million would have been a better value in my opinion. But anyway, you have depth of pitching. You have Gazelman. You have Lugo. Gabriel, no, I don't know what to think of him, but you have him too. You still have Montero. I'm not really excited about him. But you just don't want to start tearing apart, especially guys like Gazelman and Lugo, because you don't know how healthy your rotation is going to be. Pitching 12 pitchers is obscene in terms of starts, but I keep telling you, you're going to need 8 to 10, at least 8 to get through the season. And it's a hell of a lot more comforting when Lugo and Gazelman, even though I don't think they'll pitch uh, over 162 games as well consistently as they did at the end of the year, I feel a little bit more comfortable with those guys after seeing them go through the league a couple of times, at least the National League East, than going with Gabriel Noah or Rafael Montero or bringing in a, a, a low-risk uh, veteran signing like Matt Latos, guys who were getting lit up other places. Those, you, know, you don't want to get back to what I said, the 2007 situation where all of a sudden you're throwing Brian Lawrence and a lot of uh, you know, trash, for lack of a better word, out there in big important games when you have some good young I think potentially high upside, at least mid-rotation upside already in your queue. And if you start trading those guys for a bat or for the thought of a, of a guy that like McCann who could potentially come off a down year and maybe find himself outside of a Yankee pinstripes, you don't want to do that. So anyway, 
Let's take a quick break. When we return, Matt Eholt of The Record will join us, and we'll talk about the Mets offseason, Cespedes, Walker, Bruce, Granderson. What are they going to do? Who are they going to trade? Uh, what's coming up as we get into the, the meat and potatoes of the offseason over the next few weeks? You're t- listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time on MetsMarizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any podcasting service you desire. We'll be right back. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. Talking Mets podcast. Mike Silva here, and happy to have with me Matt Aholt, the uh, Mets beat reporter for the record. We actually kicked off the podcast with Matt before the season started, and uh, let's get into the hot stove with him. Matt, uh, Mike Silva, how you doing? Well, what's going on, my friend? Doing well. How are you? Can't complain. You can check out Matt on Twitter at uh, Matt Aholt. And uh, Matt, let's start with the news uh, that actually has happened. I'm not surprised the Mets passed on $12.5 million for Bartolo Colon. Um, you know, obviously you covered Bart. Maybe give us some thoughts on that. And do you think the Mets really need someone of that level caliber veteran pitcher, considering all the depth they have now with Gazelman and Lugo? I understand the injuries with the young pitchers, but Mets still have a lot of pitching even without Bartolo Colon. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, that was the thing that was ultimately going to be the factor in this was the, the team does have pitching beyond. And I mean, to invest $12.5 million into uh, a pitcher who, granted, he's a fan favorite, but frankly, just might not really pitch that many games for you. And it's just more of a, uh, a safety valve. Just to be fair, it's just not a great investment. So uh, it, it really, it's not a shocker. Uh, you know, that that he left. But certainly, you know, I mean, the, the one thing they're going to have to get was um, Bartolo probably picked above his head last year with the Mets, but they're going to have to find somebody else to do that last year because, you know, I mean, um, you know, you, you saw the, some of the things that happened. I mean, for, for better or worse, some of these Mets guys now are starting to develop kind of an injury-prone tendencies. I mean, you know, Steven Matz has landed on the disabled list. Jacob deGrom has gone on the DL, uh, you know, during his season. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's more bad luck than anything, but Matt Harvey's now had his season cut short due to injuries twice in, in a very short career. So, you know, the Mets do need to make sure that they have depth because, you know, um, you know, you have to factor these things. Some of these guys are starting to uh, struggle to stay healthy. I have with me Matt Aholt, the Mets beat reporter for the record. You can check him out on Twitter at Matt Aholt. And, uh, before we get to Cespedes, because I know that's the big fish, that's the that's where all the news is. Uh, qualifying offer Neil Walker. This is interesting, you know. In the past, players would never take the qualifying offer, but that's changed over the last couple of years. He's coming off a back injury. It seems like the Mets 
are into him. They, they're confident that he can be someone that could even potentially on a multi-year deal be their answer at second base. What is your gut telling you? Do you think uh, Walker takes the qualifying offer? Do you think he tests the market? Do you think the Mets will ultimately sign him for a multi-year deal if, uh, if he does decline the offer uh, in the next day or so? You know, this is one that really, and even speaking to people, uh, nobody really has a good feel for this because you can make the case either way and it makes sense. I mean, if you say, hey, take the qualifying offer, rebuild your status, uh, go for free agency, that's it. That makes plenty of sense if you look at it as, hey, if the Mets are willing to give you a multi-year deal, there's probably other teams, why not go for it now? That makes plenty of sense. I mean, Walker is going to be a first-time free agent, and sometimes guys don't like to delay that. I mean, you know, he's one of the few guys from his draft class who hasn't gotten paid yet. It's not the only marquee guy who hasn't gotten paid. So, you know, he, he had a great year. Uh, you know, certainly the Mets, I, you know, it's tough to, I, I always say, it's tough to project their fans because you never, all it takes is one team to really throw stuff for a loop. I mean, you know, we can sit here. Walker is clearly a very good fit with the Mets. They do not have any second-base prospects in the system. I mean, you know, Kevin Tittini, there are a lot of question marks about if he's an everyday player. Uh, T.J. Rivera, you know, when the bad bit starts to fall, the questions are, can T.J. Rivera succeed? I mean, if you're going to post the bad bit he did this year, which, I mean, not taking anything away from him, but, you know, I mean, balls fell in play for him this year, but, you know, he doesn't walk. So if you're not walking, what's he, how is he going to be able to get on base if the balls aren't falling in play? So the Mets really don't have a great option at second, so it makes a ton of sense. I mean, I, I, if you ask me, if you had to say, do I predict, I would say I would think the odds are better that he returns than he doesn't. But, you know, teams might look at this type of season he had, the you know, the, the kind of leadership he can provide, and somebody might be willing to give him a, uh, uh, a decent deal. I mean, remember, you know, the Mets – that's main issue is Cespedes. I mean, you know, I'm sure they have the parameters they want to go, but hey, you know, sometimes all it takes is uh, one team to uh, decide, oh, we'll give the guys four years, $52 million, and then, you know, that's how you end up somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And, he, you know, if he does accept that that's a $17 million, $17.5 million hit, you wonder how that's going to impact spending, not necessarily with Cespedes, but then there's Jerry Blevins, there's the idea of another – Arm, I understand it's one year, and that's always better than multi-year, but this does make the rest of, you know, Walker, I mean, the rest of the offseason, it'd be interesting how they absorb such a large salary, because let's face it, Walker's good, I'm not sure he's $17, $18 million good, even in the crazy money that players get these days. No, no, I, I mean, I, I think Neil Walker is a very good player. He's not an eighteen, seventeen million dollar player, but, you know, when you do look within the books of it, I mean, obviously the Mets have, um, you know, Bartolo just came off the books. Um, they're going to have to, you know, there is the chance that Cespedes actually could earn less per year uh, than what he is currently earning now. But other than that, Mets really don't have a lot of money, uh, per se, that's coming off the books. Because if they retain Walker, there goes the salaries and everybody else with arbitration. I mean, even, you know, Blevins and, uh, if, you know, you look at some of the guys that are pre-aged, but Blevins and Cologne did not earn that much. Uh, this past year, I mean, relatively, I think it was around 11 to 12 million. So they're going to get that 12. But then if you go to Walker, you're putting seven of it right in back. Uh, you know, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, you know, the Mets to keep this team. I mean, I think the Mets realize, and this is why I believe that they're going with Cespedes. Is the Mets window? I do not think is as big as sometimes it might be portrayed to be, just because. These pitchers are all going to start to come and go through free agency and so on and so forth. And if you look at the lineup after next year, they could be out a lot of guys. I mean, you know, 
I know uh, Lucas Duda is a lightning rod for a lot of fans, but Lucas Duda could be gone after next year. In theory, Neil Walker could be gone. Jose Reyes could be gone. Is Drupal Pereira, Curtis Granderson. Uh, they currently don't have a center fielder. I mean, Juan Lagares is, is not a full-time player. I mean, you look at that, there are a lot of after this year, and then, you know, you start looking. Matt Harvey's closing in on free agency. DeGrom is closing in. You know, Zach Wheeler is getting closer. I mean, you know, it's some of these question marks. So, I mean, it, it does make sense, I think, if they have to, to boost the payroll now because, you know, right now this is kind of the next two or so years before they start to have to worry about guys in free agency uh, is probably their best chance to win. That's a great point. I'm with you, Matty Olti. Uh... Uh, beat reporter for the Mets for the record. Let's get to Cespedes because th- this domino really changes everything. Now, I was glad to hear, and I don't know if Cespedes' team uh, agrees with this or will play ball with this, that they want to get this thing done by the winter meetings. You can't have this thing drag out till February because it, it changes the dynamic. Now, it seems like they're committed to Conforto, which means Conforto's going to play a corner. If Cespedes comes back, I think you'd agree, Matt, you covered the guy. Center field is just not good for his health. But let's let's do this in a couple parts. It seems like there's optimism this time around about the Mets getting something done with Cespedes. It seems like the market continues to be limited for him, which it's hard to read if that's a good thing or a bad thing when you're talking from a Mets perspective. Um, so if he comes back, I guess two-part. One, what do you think about how things are transpiring? What's your gut telling you about the market? And then if he does come back, you know, now we got to go into the other part where you have a lot of duplication with Conforto and Granderson and Bruce and what have you. Uh, I'll start with the first part with the market. Um, so obviously, obviously the expectation is if if Cespedes returns, he's going to get the deal. He's going to get it from somebody this offseason. But you know, well, one thing uh, you know I was thinking about the other day, perhaps, is when you look at Cespedes, what did Cespedes really do this year that he didn't do last year that makes you want to buy in him if you're another team? So we all remember last year we came into uh, you know the free agency. Everybody thought Cespedes is going to get paid. Now, granted, last year he had Hayward went went off the market, Upton went off, and even Alex Gordon went off the market before Cespedes. So you had three good, good to premium to elite. Now let's just say at the time, let's not you know let let's not bash Jason Hayward for a year. What did Cespedes do this year that makes you say, oh, I'm going to invest in him this time around? I mean, he missed games due to injury. He had the stuff in the clubhouse with the golfing that that didn't per se help. He struggled in the postseason again, and he put up good numbers in a walk year. I mean, his portfolio is pretty much the same portfolio it was last year when he couldn't land the deal. Now, obviously, there's the thought there's new teams, there's this and that. Interesting fit because in some ways, you just look at it and you go, "Why? what would make a team buying him now a year older when he's going to you know, be looking for that $100 million deal that perhaps last year he didn't? When you look at, let's say they sign Cespedes, then it goes down to, and maybe even if they don't sign Cespedes, it goes down to Jay Bruce versus Curtis Granderson. And I think that that that's a that's going to be something interesting. Could you trade Granderson? I don't know. I'm assuming you could trade Bruce. There was some demand for him at the trade deadline. I know it's unfair to compare because Granderson's had the New York success. He's a little bit older. Bruce may be the better hitter, but we're not sure about him. You covered both. Where would you go if you had to make a decision on one versus the other, Matt? I, I think it's more of a issue of uh, market demand in the situation where I don't know what you can get for Curtis Granderson. Like I, I just don't. What is Curtis Granderson's value? He's 
a he's an okay to below average defender. He he hits some home runs, which granted, I mean, you know, so does Jay Bruce. And he's in the last year uh, of a deal. He's going to get paid fifteen million. I just don't see what the high demand is going to be for him. And for all his, you know, in a lot of ways, he's like the, kind of like an older Jay Bruce. I mean, you know, he's he's a streaky home run hitter who, when he gets hot, he can carry you. When he struggles, he, he kind of hurts the lineup. I just think Jay Bruce has a greater trade value because Jay Bruce is a lock for 30 home runs. He's going to get there one way or another. And in this day and age, you know, that matters. I mean, that's like, you know, it's, it's funny. Everything always ties back to Lucas Duda. The people who bash Lucas Duda, I, I guess there's just not an appreciation for 30 home runs a year because, you know what, the, those matter at the end of the day. I think I think you saw the interest in Jay Bruce last year. Some team might buy on Jay Bruce's, the one year he has on the deal, the $13 million, which granted, I know compared to Granderson, is only $2 million less, but still less. And perhaps some team could say, hey, listen, if we – get this guy and he does well, we can re-sign him. He could be our guy in right field, left field, a power thing. I don't think anybody's looking at Granderson going, oh, they've got to re-sign him uh, just because of his age and some other factors. So I would think Jay Bruce would be the guy to move in that scenario. I mean, the, the issue that really revolves around is the Mets gave Laguerre that extension, and right now, I mean, it's backfiring on them because they're paying – uh, they're going to start having to pay a backup outfielder about four, seven, nine million dollars. Uh, a guy who just he, he just he's not a starting outfielder in baseball. He's a fantastic reserve, um, and maybe you know, and you, and you could argue he's a he, he's a starter if you have a, a loaded lineup. But the Mets lineup is not nearly loaded enough uh, to carry him, and he's the only right-handed bat unless you get Cespedes back. I mean, that's really the issue here is when you look at the outfield. Uh, Nimmo, Conforto, Granderson, Bruce are all lefties. Way too many lefties in that lineup. I mean, you saw you saw in the postseason what what Bumgarner did to them. I mean, they they were just completely immobilized. You're right. I mean, but then you're relying on Lagares to be that platoon partner because now you got let's say you got Cespedes in left, you got Conforto in right. I'm just playing out loud here, and then you're going to have to platoon Granderson and and Lagares in center. And I, look, he played a decent center field. Do you really think Conforto? I mean, maybe it's the other way around. You put Granderson in right. And then put Conforto in center and have Lagares spot him. I mean, do you really think Conforto could play center field on a on a day in and day out basis? The wear and tear. I, I'm still questioning that, even though he he looked a lot better than I expected. I, I don't think it's an ideal situation. I mean, could he do it? Yes. I mean, Curtis Granderson plays center field. Um, I don't think it's something you want the guys playing day in and day out, though. I mean, again, Conforto is your is the guy you're going to build around. Conforto is, is going to be here longer than Cespedes is going to be here. He's going to be the guy that you're going to want to give the next big term contract to, assuming that he this year was a fluke, which I, I think it was just a down year for him. Or I shouldn't say fluke, I should say a down year. I think it was a down year. I think he's going to bounce back next year. So Conforto's the guy you're going to want to have around. So um, you, you can do it, but, I mean, it's just not an ideal situation to be playing a guy completely out of position like that. And like you said, you know, um, putting him uh, – in position to possibly, you know, have that wear and tear that uh, goes with playing uh, center field in the grind every day. I mean, you know, obviously he's much better suited uh, to be a guy who has to, you know, do that stuff in, in the corners. And, you know, City Field is a spacious outfield. I mean, you know, I know he made some nice catches, but, you know, City Field, you have to run back on a, a ball a lot of times. So 
So, so Matt, you you talk about the the the, the right-handed uh, the inability to have right-handed uh, components in the lineup. You know what your right-handed components are: David Wright and um, and uh, Juan Lagares and Travis Darno. I mean, that's your right-handed. That's 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 very dicey going into the season. So well, you think they would address that? And how can they? When you really look at it, this is where even with Cespedes, it's it's tricky how they address the right-handed, the lack of right-handed uh, components of this lineup. They really can't do anything except upgrade the bench in that, in that regard. I mean, to be fair, when you look around the lineup next year, you have Darno and, and Polarki penciled in. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I wouldn't buy in Ramos or, or, or Weeders for the money they want. Uh, maybe if Ramos is willing to take, like, a one-year deal and you, you buy in the upside, but I just I don't get the – in that case, like, why wouldn't Washington sign him or, again or something in that case? Uh, you know, first base, you're locked into – or not locked into, but you're going to have to play a lefty there because even if they let Duda go, which they said they're not going to, you know, second base, you have switch hitters and stuff. Yeah, they just – they're kind of locked into this lineup for better or worse, and there's really not an instance you can go and say, oh, add that position. I mean, you know, they do have Wilmer Flores. One thing about Wilmer, though, I mean, you know, you have to analyze things here. I mean, you know, I know sometimes it sounds negative when you look at each thing critically, but Wilmer – played out of his mind against lefties this year. Wilmer had never been that kind of uh, Ryan Rayburn guy who just, you know, destroys all lefty pitching before this year. So when you look at Wilmer, can he repeat that? Or was last year kind of a beyond all expectations thing? I mean, you have to analyze that with him too. And, you know, as you mentioned, what do you, what kind of player is Ligaris? I think we're starting to see he's more of a backup player than an everyday and then with David, it's the great question mark. I mean, you know, they're, they're, David obviously wants to try and be an everyday player. The team wants to manage his health, but he's played 75 games the last two years. I mean, what can you realistically rely upon him when he can't get through a season? And, you know, that that's a big question for the Mets. That's why it was huge to get Jose Reyes back. I mean, they needed him as that utility player who can also just slide in and, and fill in for right uh, when – something goes wrong, which the last three, you know, last, uh, you know, last three years now has been the case. Uh, a couple of, couple of questions before we let you go. Uh, Matt Ailt of the, of the record is with us. You look at the 40 man. And when you start to talk about improvements, if you bring back Walker and Suspice, that's about 36 on the 40 man. Um, so let's get to a couple other free agents. Lester, do you think Jerry Blevins will be back? Let's start with him. I think the Mets will find something. Uh, I, I think the Mets will get something done there. Um, just just because I, I do think there's a, a bit of familiarity there. Um, I'm not sure Blevins is going to get a huge deal in, in the market. I think they'll be able to to get something done with him. Um, he, you know, he's proven he's proven he can do it here, but he was not lights out. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't see. I'm trying to think uh, of a, a, a like. I, like, I don't know if Jerry Blevins gets a deal that Zach Duke got, for example. I think, what was it, Zach Duke sure. got three years, $15 million. Like I, I don't know yeah. if, if Blevins will get that. Or, you know, um, who, who was the guy who signed with Houston? Tony Sipp got three years, $18 million. Like I, I don't know if Blevins wowed you that much. To get, I mean, he was very good, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't death on lefty. So I, I don't know if he'll get that. If I had to bet, I, I would think the Mets will get I think they'll get him just because th- there's not a great amount of lefty options out there, and I don't think you can trust. I mean, Josh Smoker had reverse splits. I mean, I grant the small sample size alert, but lefties hit Josh Smoker pretty well. It was the righties who struggled. So, I mean, you know, they, they do need in, – in a division where you're going to see Freddie Freeman, Harper, Murphy, you, you do need a lefty who can get guys out. 
Kelly Johnson, are they going to let him go again and try to trade for him, or do you think they'll bring back Kelly Johnson? Well, it's I mean, tight on the forty man. It's going to get tight. I, it's not. It's not a gimme in a lot of ways. I, I think that'd be. I think that would be great if they let him go to Atlanta again, and then the two teams to work out a deal. I mean, you know, they can kind of like each year just kind of been like, like that'd be a great negotiation tactic if you're Atlanta. Like you, you have to go have, have the Mets, uh, um, you know. Uh, the Mets uh, gotten them, and then you just throw the Mets, and you say like, "How much you offered them? Like three million? Okay, then we're going to acquire this prospect, and then you just keep raising the price until you're like, "All right, give us Rosario, or we sign him for 15 million." No, I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> Kelly Johnson would be a perfect fit. I, I don't see, I don't see why. I, that's a perfect fit. The only thing is, I do know Kelly Johnson. You know, um, wants to be you know closer to his family and stuff, and, and Atlanta affords that opportunity. Atlanta is going to be a little bit of, uh, you know, Atlanta next year could be. Interesting. I mean, you know, I, you don't want to make too much of September, but they played tough in September. I mean, the Mets were lucky they didn't play them more times in that final week instead of the Phillies. Um, I just, I think Kelly Johnson fits so well within that team. I mean, I, I just that's that'd be a hard one to let go. I mean, I, I think they they need to bring him back. He just fits so well within that team. Now we'll get when we wrap up, we'll get to familiar. But but as far as another reliever, I thought Fernando Salas did really well. Maybe he pitched a little bit better than he normally does. I mean, he didn't walk a batter in the regular season uh, as a member of the Mets. You've heard about them maybe going after uh, a reclamation of a Greg Holland. Um, there's certainly going to be other arms potentially out there. Where do you see them going for that veteran? We know they're not going to go top tier with Kenley Jansen, Chapman, things like that. Where do you see them going? Is Salas just that good fit? So they have your seven, eight, nine. Uh, Salas, Reed, Familia. Is that how you, how you would like to see them go and, and where you think they will go? You know, it's it, it's hard to gauge those things sometimes just because, you know, there, there could be another seventh inning guy similar to Salas. I mean, Salas was, was a very good fit here, and I think he would really help. He's a veteran presence. Uh, again, you could also look at Salas with the under the microscope of was he the guy from the Angels or was he a, a guy making a contract push late in the year with the Mets? I mean, he was fantastic with the Mets, but you know, Salas has not been a 1.7, 1.8 ERA guy in his, you know, any time. And, and, you know, he did that with the Mets. Certainly they need a guy a, a guy along those lines. The Greg Holland one, I I, I, I mean, maybe, maybe I'll be proven to be wrong here. I don't see the Mets winning that sweet state because I see that. I see Greg Holland going to a team like, and like I said, maybe I'm wrong here, but I, that, that has Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox written all over it because that seems like the team who's going to pay him closer money to allow him to rehab and hope that he comes back and he's lights out. Like, I, I don't know if the Mets can necessarily afford an opportunity to just wait on a guy for like 12 or, or, or something million, but certainly Salas or somebody of that caliber uh, makes a, a lot of sense. You know, I mean, a lot's made of the, of the relief market in that they have the, the back end options there. So it'll, uh, it, it'll be interesting. You know, is Salas able to parlay uh, what he did into a bigger uh, contract? You know, he certainly had a nice finish. Maybe he gets something. I, I don't. I don't see Price preventing a possible reunion there. I mean, and he certainly he fits. I mean, you know, that's the one thing. I, and I harped on it all throughout the year. And I'm not saying it was the cause of the playoffs, but I, I, I the Mets overworked Familian Reed. I mean, I, I still remember, you know, the final week of the season. I said the Mets are not going to make a deep run in the playoffs. I said they don't have the bullpen. I said Reed and Familia are going to be on fumes if they have to go beyond like the NLDS, and, you know, I mean, they, they really do need to get a seventh-inning guy. And also, Terry has to play into this part where Terry has to be more willing to say on certain days, like, you two are off. Like, it, not enough where it happened this year where he just said, Reed, familiar, you're off. Take the day off. There was too much of a 
if Reed was off, the, you know, like that both would pitch in like three straight games. And then, you know, I mean, they, they just can't run Familian to the ground for 78 games a year. You just, you can't do that. And, or, and maybe you know, that's where, maybe that's where Gazelman and Lugo come in. Cause if you ever been healthy, those guys are going to be the odd men out. Maybe that's where those guys come in. And it's interesting you brought that up because it's something I wasn't planning on bringing up, but you know, now everyone's talking about the two inning, the Andrew Miller type reliever. I mean, that's not something that hasn't been done before. It's not been that long ago, but you just brought it up. You you talk about players now on fumes. How the hell are you going to get guys if you want to start going two innings with Reed or two innings with Salas? If that's going to be the new you know copycat mindset out there, you really can't do it because what you just said, you're exactly right. Now, some of that goes into playing a, a better offense out there. Mets were really close to the vest most of the year, but... You make a great point. I mean, you know, what you, all defense of Terry, who doesn't manage a great bullpen, man. I know you and I have talked about this. You know, what do you expect them to do when every night it's a one or two run game? That's the problem when it's all right. It, I, I will say, Terry, Terry, I, I think, was, was, was handcuffed uh, in that regard, in that the Mets played so many close games. I mean, it seems they never had, it seems they rarely, except maybe in the year when they started playing Philadelphia in that final stretch, where they just basically could just relax like every night it was something but you know you have to be able to you have to be able to some nights trust a guy and just say hey listen um you know Jim Henderson you got to close tonight you know I mean I remember early in the year I mean granted I'm not saying one game but you know a lot of people you look back at that Miami game where it was familiar five outs and it was like April 9th and it was like you know the, you just can't have um situations like that because it, it just hurts and you know the one thing I think with the a lot of people bring up the copycat with Andrew Miller Fine, that's right. You got to copy it. Andrew Miller's the best relief pitcher in baseball. So, like, he, 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 uh, like I, teams don't have that luxury. Like, you know, you can go throw other guys out there if you want to, but, but like, yes, fine, you can do it when you have the best reliever in baseball. I don't think the Mets have a guy like that. I mean, sure, if they want to throw Lugo and Gazelman for two and a third innings in a game, they can do that. But Lugo and Gazelman aren't aren't like elite shutdown relievers. They aren't guys who are like, you know, uh, uh, fire, you know, they put out the fires. They, and, I mean, both of them pitched out of their minds this year. But, like, you know, I, I just, like, I think you can only copycat it to a certain extent. If you, like, you have to have the horses. If you don't have the horses, you, you can't get into that type of thing because, you know, like I said, Andrew Miller, in my opinion, is the best reliever in baseball. And, you know, so I, I teams might want to copy that, but not many teams are going to have the type of bullpen where you can do that. Last thing, so it's Familia's probably going to be out thirty games. You would think from this whole domestic violence situation. Is that a is that a fair assumption, or you think it's? Uh, it seems people. Time? It seems seems people believe it could be thirty to to fifty. It seems. I mean, it, 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 there's no there's killer. no there's there's no minimum though. Killer. I mean, that's that that's the 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 thing here is there is no minimum for what the 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 punishment is. It could be thirty. It, it could be fifty. Um, I don't see it going to 80 like Oliveira's case was. I mean, just because um, it doesn't seem it'll go. But I mean, could be anywhere. It could be Florida games. I mean, you know, he could he could put him somewhere in between, um, you know, the the Chapman and the Jose Reyes uh, situation. I mean, you know, it, but but certainly 30 seems the minimum. I mean, I, it, it at least seems with Chapman that uh, Commissioner Manfred said 30 is kind of going to be like you're you're missing. You're going to miss roughly one fifth of the season if this type of stuff happens, and then, you know, obviously you had, you know, Reyes got fifty and Oliveira got eighty, you know, the eighty. So uh, I'm rounding there, of course, but yeah, it, 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 uh, it, thirty to fifty seems the educated guess here for how many games Amelia will miss. 
So uh, you got the holidays coming up, Thanksgiving, winter meetings. What do you got coming up? What do you want to promote? Uh, obviously, at May- Matt A. Holt on Twitter, um, the record. Uh, what do you got coming up that the fans could uh, check out over the next uh, few weeks with the hot stove? Uh, we have a piece in today's uh, record, actually, about free agency and what it's like uh, for players uh, when they're considering New York. What are some of the factors? Uh, guys who are signed with the Yankees and Mets, what are some of the things that they uh, considered when they decided to sign here? What makes New York an attractive option? We have that today. And, you know, just to keep following along uh, throughout the off season. you know, certainly will be a busy one. I mean, you know, uh, uh, certainly the last, from my first year uh, covering to now, I mean, the Mets have gone for the team that, uh, you know, as Scott Boris once said, they didn't uh, shop in certain sections of the supermarket, and now the Mets are linked to the top free agent in baseball. So uh certainly be an interesting offseason, especially because, you know, the Mets have to catch up to the Nationals and Cubs. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I see a little too much. Maybe this is just me, but I, I see sometimes a, some a little too much of a segment that just thinks, if the Mets are healthy, they're automatically better than the the, Cubs, the Nationals, and some even say the Cubs. Then I, I just, you know, you got to prove it. I mean, the Mets are going to have to go out there. I mean, you know, the Nationals did beat them by, I believe it was, uh, forget how many, eight, nine games. About eight, you know, about eight games. It was, it was a runaway. It was a runaway. Right. It wasn't a close division. So I, I'm not sure if I buy this notion that just if the Mets were healthy, they would have won the division. I mean, they, it's, you know, that was eight games they, they lost there. And, you know, you could say the Nationals, you know, they didn't have Strasburg for the pretty much their entire playoff push and stuff. So, you know, the Mets are going to have to build a team that's not only going to have to make up a, you know, eight-game stuff in the division, but you're going to have the Cubs. Although I actually do believe the Cubs winning the World Series was the best thing for the Mets in that regard because – I wonder if you could in the same way. I wonder if, you know, the Cubs, maybe the hunger is not going to be quite there next year. The only thing I wonder and, is maybe, you know, that eye of the tiger won't be there to quote the Rocky moves. Fair fair point. And you know what? And you like Rocky quotes. You could also check out Matt on Twitter if you want any UConn basketball updates. Is that fair? Is that a good way to end the segment? Is it about UConn uh, Well, well, I'm going into – I'm going in <laughs> well, after after losing to Wagner in the opener and getting thoroughly outplayed for 40 minutes, um, yeah, it's going to be a long season. And uh, I'm going to go into hibernation, hopefully, about tweeting about UConn hoops. But, uh, oh, boy, losing to Wagner in the opener. That's a, that's a rough one to digest. Matt, you've uh, always been a friend of the show. Thanks so much here on a Sunday. Uh, appreciate it. Let's catch up again, and then be well. And if I don't talk to you, happy Thanksgiving. All righty? Thanks, Mike. Same to you. And that's Matt A. Holt of The Record, uh, friend of the show. It was actually for the Metsmerized Online community, uh, this Mets-centric podcast. It was the first guest we ever had back in uh, March when we, uh, we launched it. So had a chance to catch up. But I agree with a lot of what he said. You know, a lot of interesting things he had to say there. So... Uh, Matt gives his take on the Mets, and it's a good way to set up as we head into the meat potatoes of the offseason, the hot stove, Thanksgiving coming up in about a week and a half, and, and a lot going on. Let's take a quick break. When we return, some final thoughts, and uh, we'll wrap up right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. 
coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, talking about podcast, uh, wrapping up here. And one other quick thing before we uh, call it a day: the Baseball Hall of Fame, which we'll, you know, we'll talk more about the Hall of Fame vote as the winner goes on, especially after the winter meetings as we get into the, the dead part of January when things settle down. But they did announce earlier this week the today's game era ballot. So this is where the Veterans Committee goes, and every year they pick a different era and they vote on. It. And there is a lot of interesting names on this uh, on this ballot. So you, any candidate who receives votes on 75% of the ballots cast by the 16-member Today's Game Era Committee will earn election to the Hall of Fame. It will be announced on January 18th, 2017. Um, it's one of the four eras, the Today's Game Era. So this is more of the modern era. So they change, you know, they change it uh, all the time. And Here's some interesting names. So if you're not familiar with it, go to the uh, baseballhall.org website. Uh, Harold Baines is on it. Albert Bell, Will Clark, Oral Hershiser, Davey Johnson. That's the one that's near and dear to Mets fans' hearts. Oral Hershiser is probably near and dear for another reason, even though he played for the Mets briefly. Mark McGuire, Lou Pinella, John Sherholtz. Uh, of course, Bud Selig is going to get his name in there after retiring. George Steinbrenner for the Yankees. You can make the argument on this ballot. I I don't know any of these Arab ballots, and some of them as you get to the some of the uh, historical ballots where it's harder because I'm only looking at Baseball Reference. You can say, ah, that guy's not a Hall of Fame. That guy's not a Hall of Famer. And you try to, you know, but this is a ballot where every one of those players has a, a and and if you you know Sherholtz as an executive, and Steinbrenner as an owner, and Sealig as a as a commissioner, you could make an argument that they actually had. A great case. You could elect all of them, and I, I don't think that's going to happen. But um, every one of them. Now, I'm not sure, and it's just going to be a longer conversation. And I'll have it as things go on. I don't want to get into it now. I'm not sure. I, I I'm sold on Davy Johnson being Hall of Famer, even though he had an illustrious career as a manager. I think sometimes he was in the right place at the right time. And you can make an argument that the Mets underachieved under Davy, but certainly McGuire. We've had that conversation. Steinbrenner, Seelig. My prediction is real, real, real quickly. Here is that Seelig will be the only one they'll get it because it'll be a political appointment. Uh, I think politically Albert Bell and guys like McGuire will be a lot tougher to sell. But the one that quietly – I mean and this is where it'll be. Is it the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Very Good is Harold Baines because he certainly had – I mean if Harold Baines gets 3,000 hits, he's already in the Hall of Fame. So that's the thing. He was more of an on-base guy, a walk guy. So it's like the whole Tim Raines argument. Would you rather him – if you walk or you get a hit, I mean that's the difference between you being a Hall of Famer. But anyway, something really interesting. Take a look at it, and uh, we'll talk more about that as the off-season goes on. Hey, we're out of time, but I want to thank everybody for tuning in here. I want to thank Matt Aholt for uh, joining us. Check out Matt on Twitter, at Matt Aholt, and check out on the record, uh, his work at the record. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsmarsOnline.com. Send me a tweet, at MikeSilvaMedia. And check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. We'll be back next week. Take care.